Welcome, everyone. So glad to have you here this morning. My name's Mike, and you're walking into a series called Disciple, Be One, Make One. See, we're not just supposed to be one, we're also supposed to make one. And last week, just wanted to recap real quick with you, Acts 2.42, it's the perfect, really the perfect example of what the church should look like. The neat thing about this is sometimes when you're in church or when you've been to church for a long period of time, you start getting... People can. People can get confused about what church actually is. And that's what I love about Acts. We always have this opportunity to go back to what the church really is trying to look like. So it says, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. That's talking about a group of people, disciples, and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and prayer. So if you weren't here last week, we talked about these individuals, this group of disciples is coming together as a community. They're choosing to be a part of a community. And they want to devote themselves or try to obey the commands that Jesus has for them, and they want to be able to pray for one another and fellowship and and be in each other's lives, and they also want to break bread. They want to have peace with each other. They want to pursue this. This is something that we all want to pursue with the community that we choose to be a part of. See, there's so many great churches, there's so many great communities, and each individual or each family chooses to be a part of a community. I think that's really neat when people come together. And I pray for a lot of different communities. But one thing I've been doing this week, I've been really praying for this specific community and just asking God to just flood our hearts with a bunch of different uh, things that he can be teaching us, that he can be shaping us, that he can be chiseling away. And I think that as I've begun to do some, some different studies about what disciples look like, I felt like I wanted to be able to break down three weeks and be able to break three particular things. So, Matthew 28, 19, 20, saw it last week. We're not supposed to stay. We're supposed to be fully available. So God tells us, he says, therefore go make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I'm gonna be with you always. He wants us to know that we're not just supposed to stay. We're not just supposed to get complacent. He actually wants us to go out and make disciples. Don't just be one. He says, make one. And we, we kind of, um, in week one, kind of broke it down to let you know that to be a disciple, some of the components, there's many, but I wanted to highlight three. Some of them, they're going to take a lot of work. And I actually think it's one of the most difficult things to do week one is to be fully available. If you missed it last week, one of the things that I talked about was Peter getting out of the boat. Heard that story probably quite a bit. But Peter, he gets out of the boat. Like I said last week, we don't know if it's one step, two step, five steps, whatever it is. But he starts doubting and he starts sinking. And Jesus reaches his hand down and Peter grabs it and he pulls him out. The thing is, is that to be a disciple, you have to fully be available. But there's certain things in my life and certain things in your guys' life, I'm sure, that if you were to look at, you'd say, "Mm, I'm not having courage. I'm not taking a step to do these things. There's been a few things as of recent that I've been feeling God put on my heart, and I know he's been putting things on your guys' heart, different things that I tell him all the time, that I'm available, God, I'm going to do what you want, but i got to be honest with you, I also like my comfort. And to be able to do some of these things, it's going to get me outside of my comfort zone, and so I'm telling God that I'm fully available, but I don't necessarily have the courage all the time to be fully available. He wants you and me to be the Peter. He wants us to step out of the boat even if we think there's a chance that we could fail. Because if we start to fail, like I said, the greatest place we could be is where Jesus reaches his hand and saves us. There's no better place to be than being saved by the grace of God. 
So I want to be able to display to you on week two what I think is another component of being a disciple. And I want to start off by sharing a phrase that I don't think we're always good at saying or admitting. And it's the phrase, I was wrong. As I was sitting here (laughs) trying to think about a story, about a month ago I was thinking about this sermon and I was thinking about this series and I thought, okay, what story could I share? Because I'm wrong all the time. I thought there's probably a plethora of them. It's very interesting and I think you would agree with me if you were in my position up here talking, I think you would say this very same thing. I could think of a million stories where I was wrong, but I had a tough time thinking of a story that I could share with you where I said, I'm sorry. See, there's a lot of times I know I'm wrong, but that doesn't necessarily mean that I say I'm sorry. The I was wrong. If we would say this as human beings, we'd probably be in better spots. If we would say this as a church, we'd probably be in better spots. If we said this as Christians, we would probably be in better spots. What do I mean by better spots? I think that people would be more gracious towards us as believers. Maybe not because it's, Jesus prophesied they would hate us because of, because of him. But I think at times we have dug ourselves a hole and we haven't been able to say I was wrong. I was in high school. It's my junior year. I just started dating Megan and we're like three or four dates in. Now, if you thought I was a dumb individual before I shared this story, you're about to say, that kid has no hope. We're three or four dates in. I'm, what, 18 years old or whatever. And my friends used to tease me all the time that I was on GST, which is Griggs Standard Time. Megan loves to be on time. She loves to be punctual. She loves to make sure, like, everything's in order. And I'm just kind of a go-by-the-flow type of dude in some areas, specifically with time. That's why I was called Greg Standard Time. Now, I thought this was funny at first. I was like, oh, Greg Standard Time, that's funny. They're giving me a hard time. But then it's like, wow, I'm actually like starting to tick people off because I'm never on time. So I'm playing basketball, and Megan had said, be at my house at 5.30. And so I'm playing basketball with some guys, and it's, it's 4 o'clock, and it's like, oh, man, maybe I should you know, start. I'm 20 minutes away from the house. i got to drive back to my house. i got to shower, and then I'm you know, 15, 20 minutes to her house. So it's 4 o'clock, and... I'm thinking, oh, no, I've, I, got, I got some time. I got some time. So I'm going to play another game. So then it's 4.20, and then I play another one, and it's 4.40. And it's like, again, if you're doing the math, this isn't probably going to work out in my favor. But it's 4.40, now it's 4.50. And I know I should probably get going because I got a ways to, I got a ways to go home, shower, get ready, and then go over to her house. And, you know, I'm kind of a sucker. So, like, basically this is what would happen. I'd be like, oh, guys, I got to go. Hey, Griggs, you got one more in you? Yeah, yeah, I got one more. If, if I do play this last one, though, we should probably just go to 11s by 1s and 2s. No, dude, I was thinking we go to 21. Yeah, 21's a good number. Okay, I'll play. So we go to 21. Now it's like 515, and, like, I still haven't left. Like, again, I'm dumb. It's 515. I, I finally drive home. I go home. I go shower, and then I... I drive over to Megan's house. I'm like an hour late. She is super ticked. This is the even dumber part. I'm an hour late and I never called her or texted her or told her I was going to be late. And again, remember, I'm in the impressed stage. Like you're in the press stage the first six months. You really got to step your game up. I've never had any game, so there's nothing to step up from. 
I was an hour late, didn't call, didn't text. She was super ticked. I don't blame her. I think the rest of the date, basically, I don't even know if we talked because I think I would try to bring up conversation and she wasn't having it. I don't blame her. The whole point being, I was wrong. See, the thing is, a lot of times in our lives, we have these stories where we did something wrong and we don't necessarily make the effort to say sorry. We more just make excuses. See, I find myself doing this all the time. I can come up with any excuse. I could have said, oh, man, like, you know, my friends, like, they just really wanted to play. We had a game. We had a series going, best of seven. I couldn't let my team down. I'm trying to stay in shape. I really needed to keep playing. Like, I could have given all these excuses. The bottom line is I was wrong. And so I needed to say sorry. I had to tell her, Megan, you know what? I'm sorry. I know you were looking forward to this. And I was an hour late. I don't know if it was an hour. It might have been 45 minutes. An hour sounds better to make the story better. But anyways, it was like, you know, I'm, I'm an hour late. I probably should, I should say I'm sorry. Like, there is no excuse. Along the way, I have done many dumb things, if you will. But I want to tell you something. Saying I'm sorry is a choice. It's always been a choice. Because there's been certain times where I've done things that have been wrong, and I'm hoping maybe the person just forgets it or forgets about it, and maybe it'll go away. Sometimes that happens. There's been certain times where I've gotten in an argument, maybe let's say with Megan, and we both just said, yeah, like, let's just let it go. And we let it go, but I know in my mind I was wrong. Or maybe Megan, there's times where she's wrong. When you do this thing where you just let it go and you hope the person forgets about it, that's an that's a okay tool, that's fine. But sometimes it's not even really about their response, it's more about the responsibility of owning up to the fact that you were wrong. So there has been times where I've had to go back, even when Megan forgot about it, I'd say, hey, you know last Thursday when I said this or whatever, oh yeah, actually I hadn't even, I hadn't even thought about it since then. I know you hadn't, it's not even about the fact that you thought about it, it's not the fact that we're, everything's good. I want to tell you that I was wrong and I'm sorry. Why? Because saying I was wrong and saying I'm sorry is an absolute choice. And the second component I do believe of being a disciple is disciples are humble. They choose humility. Now, what does this look like? Does this mean you just need to be this soft-spoken person that stands in the corner, never voices your opinion, or doesn't ever, like, do anything? Is that how you just be humble? You just sit there and be peaceful? That's not, that's not what true humility is. And I want to walk you through a little bit what I believe Based on the scriptures, true humility is. So if you would turn to 1 Peter 5, 6, or you can take a look on your screen. I love this. Jesus says, humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. The scripture is saying right here, humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. You know what's really interesting about humility? You can look all across the scriptures, and you're not going to find many verses, if any, where God is humbling you. Most of scripture, if not all of the scriptures that I have come across, I could have put 40 different verses up here. It's talking about you humbling yourself. God actually gives you and me the responsibility of humbling ourselves. What I mean by this is you have an opportunity to choose how you can humble yourself. The thing with God is God is not a God who is going to come down on you because he just wants you to be humble. Because that doesn't do anything. He's not a God that's waiting to check off your punishment. He's not a God that's waiting to get even. He is a God who wants you to choose humility because when you choose humility, you're elevating him. 
Now, you could look at different stories in the Bible. You could say, oh, what about, what about Moses and Pharaoh? What about that? Like, Pharaoh's hard, heart got hardened. He, I mean, God was, th- all these plagues were coming down. He was humbled. Yes, Pharaoh was very humbled through this whole process. But can I tell you something? The whole story is not based on Pharaoh becoming humble. The whole story is about God getting his people free. Pharaoh just happened to get humbled in the process. If you look in scripture, there is not a lot of scripture that talks about you, about God humbling you. He wants you and he wants me to humble ourselves. So what do I mean by this? I mean that humility is not about self-doubt. Humility is placing others' needs above your own. If you are a, a person that's married or you're in a relationship with somebody or you're engaged or you have a brother or sister or you have a, a parent or whatever it might be, a friend, you're in some sort of relationship. I want to ask you a quick question. If you were to always place yourself above that person, how would the relationship go? I can tell you how it would go. It wouldn't go good. If you were to place yourself above your spouse all the time, the way that you feel, the way that you think, all your desires, all your wants, above them all the time, you would not have a good relationship. And if I can be honest with you, there's been many times in my relationship where I have done this because I'm a selfish person. And I've had to humble myself. I'm working on this because I want Megan to know, I want my friends to know, I want my family to know, I want my kids to know that they are always the people that I'm trying to elevate because I want them to know that I want to choose to humble myself. It's not about having self-doubt. I think we think humility is this self-doubting, I gotta lack confidence, I can't have any confidence. That's, that's not what humility about, is about. It's about placing other people's needs above your own. I wanna turn to a section of scripture and it, it's in Luke 14, seven through 14. This is probably one of my favorite uh, pieces of advice that Jesus gives. It's so cool and it's really, really neat and it'll give you this picture of how our mind is supposed to be focused. So Luke 14, seven through 14, there's a lot of scripture right here, I'll go through it pretty quick. When Jesus noticed that all who had come to the dinner were trying to sit in the seats of honor near the head of the table, he gave them this advice. He's probably looking around. He goes in here. He says, oh, man, okay, that, something looks off here. When you're invited to a wedding feast, don't sit in the seat of honor. What if someone who is more distinguished than you has also been invited? The host will come and say, give this person your seat. Then you will be embarrassed, and you'll have to take whatever seat is left at the foot of the table. Instead, I want you to take the lowest place at the foot of the table. Then when your host sees you, he'll come and say, hey, friend, I got a better place for you. Then you'll be honored in front of all the guests. For those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Catch that again? Themselves. It's about humbling ourselves. Then he turned to his host. When you put on a luncheon or banquet, I love this. He said, don't invite your friends, brothers, relatives, and rich neighbors, for they'll invite you back, and that'll be your only reward. Instead, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, and the blind. Then at the resurrection of the righteous, God will reward you for inviting those who could not repay you. Humility is a mindset. Humility is a choice. Humility is having kingdom-minded perspective. Why does Jesus tell us this? Why does he say, hey, don't invite all your friends. Don't invite the people that you know can pay you back. Invite people who can't repay you. Why? Because we're not trying to please men. We're not trying to serve men. We're serving God. So this might be one of these things. As we talk about disciples and we talk about go, maybe a challenge for you. I have this friend group, this specific group of friends. I've had them since I was in high school. I've had, I've had them really since elementary school. They're three of my best friends, and I spend a lot of time with them. 
Our wives spend a lot of time. We were with them on 4th of July. Now all of us are having kids. We get to raise our kids together. It's been so cool. I, I play fantasy football with them. I watch sports with them. When I'm hurting, I go talk to them. When I celebrate, I, they're the first ones I call. When I, you know, all these different things. I love doing life with these people. They refresh me. They encourage me. Every time I leave, I'm filled up. I remember on 4th of July, they, they left and Megan came to me and we had just finally sat down because it was just a long day. And, and she goes, man, she's like, that was just a lot of fun with them. And I was like, it really was. We were so refreshed and so refueled. I could spend all my time with them. But here's the, here's the challenge maybe as a disciple. Maybe you're going to have to get outside your comfort zone and to be able to go and make a disciple or go allow yourself to be a vessel, you might actually have to hang out with some people that you don't normally hang out with. You might actually have to get outside your comfort zone and hang out with some people who don't necessarily believe everything you do, don't do and have the same hobbies as you. It's not comfortable because you don't know these people real well. You don't have history with these people. I'm all about family time. I'm all about friend time. I call it family time, friend and family. I love family time. Don't get me wrong. I'm very into my group of people. I think it's incredible to have those people, and you should have those people. But I want to challenge you, if you're only taking time with those people, maybe it's one of these things that you're going to have to choose to go out and get uncomfortable and be fully available. And part of humility is recognizing that you have to make changes in your life. And so I think what's kind of neat about this scripture is having this kingdom-minded perspective. Yeah, it's great to have friends. It's great to have these close acquaintances. It's great to be able to feast together. But you know what's also really neat? Getting together with a group of people who you don't know well that you might be able to impact their life somehow by the way you show them kindness or grace or mercy or however you look at these things. Maybe that's what it's going to take for us to not only be one, but to be able to make one. And I think it sums it up really in that, in that scripture. I love it. Instead, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, and the blind, that at the re- resurrection of the righteous, God will reward you for inviting those who could not repay you. There's going to be people sitting at your table that are never going to be able to repay you. They're never going to be on your status level. They're never going to have the money you have. They're never going to have the power you have, maybe the fame, whatever it might be. They're never going to have that. But you know what? You've got to invite them to the table. Why? Because we're not doing this. We're not serving. We're not having humility just because we want to have humility. We're having humility because we're placing ourselves below people, letting them know that, you know what? I still have confidence. I th- still think highly of myself. I still think God wants to use me. But I'm going to put your needs over mine. I want to go through five things that I believe you might be able to recognize in your life if you were to take a look, and I'll explain them real quick. These five things, if you could look at these things, these might be some of the things that is actually getting in the way of you choosing to humble yourself. I believe that everybody can humble themselves. Why? Because I believe everybody on this planet has the opportunity to make a choice. If you don't have an opportunity to make a choice in this life, come talk to me afterwards because that doesn't make any sense. Every single person in this room has the ability to choose what they want to do. So you have an opportunity to humble yourself. Here is number one. Number one, you get easily offended. You can't talk about anything. You can't talk about politics. You can't talk about sports. You can't talk about anything. Maybe it's Notre Dame football. That would be me. No, I'm just teasing. But it's like, here's the deal. You can't talk about anything with anybody or you're, you'll get offended. 
If, if, if somebody disagrees with you, you're going to get offended. How dare they think that? They're obviously the devil. They couldn't think that way. What are these people doing? If you don't think the same way as somebody else, let me tell you something. It's okay. And if you're finding yourself either getting defensive or uh, feeling offended or getting hurt or getting angry, super easy, maybe in your heart there's a tad bit of pride. That could be somewhere you could humble yourself. Number two, you think your feelings are always reasonable. Can I tell you this, that if marriage was based on a feeling, 100% of couples would probably be divorced because marriage has never been about a feeling. Love has never been about a feeling. So you have to choose that person every day, which shows me that it's not always your feelings that are completely accurate and reasonable. But if you think your feelings are the thing that always justify you for why you're doing this, if, if you always feel angry and you're treating people poorly, then maybe you have so much pride in your heart that you just think my feelings trump everything. That's not an accurate picture. Number three, your desires are the most important. You're always placing your stuff. I gotta be honest, we'll get, Megan and I will get in the car and like, you know, she's always cold and I'm always hot. And so it's like, she's always wanting the heat, you know, and I'm always wanting the AC. And it's like, we're battling, we're battling, we're battling. And I feel like a lot of times like, somehow the AC ends up getting on. And I don't know if it's because she just respects me and wants me to be able to be happy or if she just gets annoyed at me complaining. I'm guessing it's number two. But your desires are always the most important. Sometimes my desires are like, oh, I want them to be right here. And like everything else is gonna fall in line. Like, I, oh, you want something? Well, I kind of want it more. So I think I'm gonna go my way. That might be an issue of pride. Maybe you're a person that your desires trump everything. Number four, you never say sorry. You can think of all the times you were wrong. Maybe you can't, but if you can and you're still not saying sorry, that's a problem. Why? Because saying I'm sorry is a choice. Like I said earlier, if you have wronged somebody and you're just hoping at this point they've forgotten it or maybe they actually have forgotten it, that's not the point. The point is not so the problem goes away. The point is to humble yourself. And to humble yourself means even if you were to go to them months later and say, you know what? Tuesday, the 15th or whatever, you know, when I said that one thing, yeah, yeah, I hadn't thought about it, yeah, I'm sorry. Well, you don't, you don't need to be sorry because I already forgot about it. It's been over. We, we're past that. I know we're past it, and I know things have been going really good, and I, I get all that stuff, but I just want you to know that I was wrong, and I'm sorry. I want you to know that. Number five, you often, you're often negative and critical could be a sign of pride. Why? Because people that are humble enough to recognize the grace that God has given them are not always the most negative and critical people. If you find yourself being a very negative and critical person all the time, there might be some pride there. Because I actually believe one of the greatest things that you can do is encourage people. And one of the reasons I like to encourage people is I like to take the focus off myself for a moment and place it on somebody else. If somebody's looking good, like Nick Yoder right here is looking really good, both Morrison's looking incredible, all three of them, It'd be easy for me to be like, oh, wow, today I'm looking pretty good. I got these glasses on. I mean, I look good. But I'm going to take the focus off myself for a second and be like, hey, guys, I wanted you to know you look great today. Now you don't have to tell somebody they look great. But I want to tell you, encouragement, encouragement's a really big deal. It actually removes the focus from yourself, places it on somebody else to the point that if you start recognizing the gifts and blessings that God has given you, you will stop being so negative and critical. There's things going on in your life right now, there's things going on in my life that aren't always the best things. Things just happen. 
car breaks down, you got to pay a bill, somebody gets sick, you got to do that. It'd be so easy for us to think negatively all the time because there's a lot of negativity in the world. But when we are humble, when we choose to humble ourselves, that is me saying, God, I know there's some junk going on right now, but I want you to know that I choose to worship you, I choose to praise you, and I choose to elevate you. Why? Not because everything in my life is good, so I'm going to praise you, but I'm going to push this stuff aside, and I'm not going to be negative and critical, and I'm going to elevate you to let you know that I'm going to humble myself. If you're finding yourself doing any of these five things, if you get easily offended, if you find that your feelings are always reasonable, you think those are the only things that matter, your desires are the most important, you never can say sorry to anybody, and you're often negative and critical, if you're in these one of these places, I gotta be honest, I'm probably in all five, but I think number three, I find myself in the most because I'm, I can be very selfish. And I have to ask God, I have to choose to say, God, I want to be humbled and I know that you're, from what I see in the scriptures, that you don't necessarily just want to humble me. You want me to humble myself. So instead of me asking you, God, will you humble me? Because talk about a scary prayer. I'm going to say, God, make me aware of the pride in my life so that I can make the choices to humble myself. Because I want to humble myself before you. The last story or, or part of scripture that I would want to read before we, we close up is Philippians 2, 25 to 30. Paul is writing this to the church in Philippi, and I think there's a really, uh, this is kind of neat. So, but I think it is necessary to send back to you uh, Epaphroditus. We're just gonna call him Epap. That's what we're gonna call him for now. But I think it's necessary to send back to you Epap, my brother, my coworker, my fellow, fellow soldier, who is always your messenger, whom you sent to take care of my needs. For he longs for all you in his distress because he heard he was ill. Indeed, he was ill and almost died, but God has mercy on him, and not only him, but also me, to spare me sorrow upon sorrow. Therefore, I am all the more eager to send to him, uh, send him, so that when you see him again, you may be glad and may have less anxiety. So then, welcome him in the Lord with great joy and honor, people like him, because he almost died for the work of Christ. He risked his life to make up for the help you yourselves could not give me. This story is talking about somebody who's not overly talked about in the Bible, Paul, we all know who he is. Timothy, we all know who he is. Paul gets a ton of credit in the scriptures, as he should. He did some incredible things. But Paul's this guy where we hear about, he gets a lot of, uh, he gets a lot of spotlight, he gets a lot of credentials. We don't hear a lot about Epap. Epap is Paul's right-hand man. And this guy would have been taking the letters back and forth to different churches, the letters that Paul would have wrote, and they don't know exactly, but if you notice, Paul says three different times, indeed he was ill and almost died. Then he says, because he almost died for the work of Christ. Then he says, he risked his life to make up. He is talking about Epap, and he's giving him a shout out in this scripture. He's saying, this is my right-hand man, and this guy doesn't necessarily get talked, talked about a lot, like Paul, certainly not like Paul, but Epap didn't have this mindset of, oh, I want to be recognized in God's story. I want to be recognized in the scriptures. Epap's job was that of a humble servant. He was kingdom-minded. He wanted to make sure that the news got out, the word got out. He wanted to serve the Lord, so he chose to go back and forth to deliver letters to, to churches. Three times in the scripture, it talks about how he almost died, so he was willing to sacrifice his life for the mission. See, he was kingdom-minded. He wasn't just about himself. 
He wasn't about the credit that he would receive. EPAP was all about the mission. He was a humble servant. And I believe that he chose to walk those roads. The scripture never indicates that he was forced. The scripture totally indicates that he chose to walk those roads to deliver those letters. Humility is a choice. And I don't want you to miss this last part. And I'm gonna have the band come up as we close out. I wanna tell you this morning that humility isn't the lack of confidence. It's rather the perspective of desperation for a savior. What do I mean by this? You don't have to be the person that's super peaceful, stands in the corner that, that feels like they don't have anything to offer. Because I think sometimes when we talk about humility, we think of a peaceful, quiet person. Humility is this recognition that without Jesus, you and I are nothing. I'm gonna tell you, some of you guys are 20, some of you guys are 18, some of you guys are 30, some of you guys are 50, some of you guys are 60. We all have this clock that's on our lives and it's coming to an end here at some point. Every second of the clock, it's ticking away and what we choose to do with it is a really big deal. And we can either lift ourselves up and elevate ourselves or we can choose humility before our time runs out. And God is calling you and he's calling me to be humble, but he's not gonna do it. He can humble you through circumstances. Don't get me wrong, Pharaoh was humbled. I'm not saying that. I'm saying that in the scriptures, if you look at the scriptures, he calls us to humble ourselves. So I wanna ask you this morning, what are you doing to humble yourself so that you're placing yourself and elevating Jesus? I love Romans 5.8. While we're still sinners, Christ came and he died for us. He wanted you and me to know that at my worst, at our worst, we were good enough to come and die. He, he, he wanted to take our place. And that's exactly what I wanna choose to do. I wanna humble myself. I wanna choose this area of life where I can say, God, you were elevated in my life. I'm gonna elevate people. And if you wanna know how to, how to humble yourself, look in your heart and say, where are some of these pride things coming from? Why do I feel a certain way? Why do I keep getting angry? Why do I keep getting easily offended? Why do I always think I'm right? Is there an insecurity there? Have you ever met those people? You can argue to the death and it doesn't matter. You can know you're right, they can know you're right. People can tell you that they're wrong. It doesn't matter. They're not gonna say they're wrong and they're not gonna say they're sorry. That is an issue. If you're a Christian and you find yourself doing that, I, I really, really ask that maybe you find a way to humble yourself and you say, God, you know what, I'm gonna be open to other people's perspectives. It doesn't mean I'm gonna agree with everything. It means that I'm gonna listen. I'm not gonna judge, I'm not gonna condemn, I'm gonna listen. I think if we would do more of this, I think if the church started humbling ourselves and admitting I was wrong, maybe the world would see a group of people that don't have to be right. We're just trying to follow somebody who was never wrong. This morning, it's about Jesus. It's always been about Jesus. And I want you to know that Humility is simply admitting that we can't do it on our own. If you're in this room this morning and you, you say like, I've been working so hard to, you know, to try to get to heaven on my own and like, I just, man, I can never be good enough. You're right, you'll never be good enough because you're not good enough. The only person that was good enough is Jesus. And if you don't have hope in Jesus, you'll never, you'll never get to heaven. You'll never get there. That's humility. That's admitting that I need a savior. The world right now is out there, and I think we're more arrogant than we've ever been. I really do. I think we live in a very arrogant society. It doesn't mean that we're, you know, 
being all obnoxious and arrogant necessarily like that. I'm talking about, I think that realistically, we live in the most arrogant society because we live in a society where we think we can do everything on our own. And if somebody tries to help us, how dare them? I'm gonna do this on my own. I'm gonna be self-made. I'm gonna figure this out. I'm gonna make my life. I'm gonna make my money. I'm gonna make my career. Those are all great things. God calls you to work hard. He calls me to work hard so we can build lives for ourselves. But at the same time, there's a world out there in need of a savior. And instead, they just keep putting them, their faith in if I'm good enough or maybe it's just, I'm just gonna build a good enough life and that'll be fine. And Jesus is like, no, there's a lot of nice people right now that aren't gonna experience the kingdom of God because they haven't humbled themselves to say, Jesus, I need you as my savior. If you're one of those people today that you need a savior, would you come talk to me? If you just said, I, I, want, I want to experience Jesus in my life, we would love to. We, you can talk to anybody. There's, talk to somebody out in the crowd. There's so many amazing people here that would love to talk with you. The band would love to talk to you, whoever. Go find somebody. But I want you to know that humility is, is, is a choice. And we have to choose to be humble. Would you go ahead and bow your heads with me this morning? God, we don't want to be arrogant because I think what arrogance says is we don't need you. Now, I want to work hard and I want to build my life and I want to, when you call me to do something, I want to have the courage, I want to be fully available. But I also want you to know that I am nothing and I want to publicly say this, God, I am nothing without you. My time will come to an end, I'll be quickly forgotten, the clock will tick and every moment in my head it continues to tick. And I know that those, those years, those days, those years, those months, all those things are getting shorter and shorter and what I choose to do on this earth really matters. Coming from a very selfish person, I, I wanna choose humility. I wanna choose to put Megan and my boys and you know, this church and, and my family and my friends above myself. I want to show them that I'm gonna elevate them because in Romans 5, 8, you elevated me. You didn't have to, you did, you chose to. And so this morning what I choose to do is I choose to elevate you, God, and I choose to elevate the people that you care about. I choose to elevate people because you didn't just say to love you, you said love one another, and I'm gonna choose that, God. May this morning, if there's individuals in this room who, who can never be wrong in their mind or they can't say sorry or they think their feelings are always justified, God, I'm not gonna pray that you humble them because I, I, I just, again, I don't see that in the scripture. What I pray for is they'd recognize the pride in the different areas of their life and that they would ask themselves, what can I do, what can I choose practically to be able to start humbling myself? May we be a people that say, you go first. We're so grateful for you, God. I'm so grateful for this group of people. Thank you for all that you've done. Thank you for setting an example of absolute humility. I don't know many kings that the word humility is attached to. And so I can certainly say I'm no king. I'm just a regular human being, so I certainly should have the word humility attached to me. Thank you, Jesus. It's in your amazing name. Amen.